Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm speaking with Christina Limbird, Director of Linden Global Learning Support Services based in Berlin. Welcome, Christina. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Michelle. I'm excited to be here with you. Tell us a bit about yourself and what inspired you to create the Linden Global Learning Support Services. I am from the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa and in Indiana. My father was the director of international programs at the university, so I always grew up with foreign students living in my house. I used to make a joke when I was a kid that we were the Limbird Hotel, so I grew up with Indonesians and Kenyans and Koreans and Chinese in my home, and internationalism was a really big part of who we were. When I was in sixth grade, we moved abroad for the first time and lived in Korea, where I attended my first international school. And it was an absolutely life-changing experience to go from Ames, Iowa <laughs> to Seoul, Korea. Even though I was apprehensive, of course, I thrived in the international school environment and I think that made enormous impact on my identity and who I was. Later in high school in Indiana, you don't start taking a second language until ninth grade. The Berlin Wall had just fallen. And so my parents said, hey, you should take German. German is such an exciting language. Germany is such an exciting country. So I started taking German lessons. All through high school, I took German classes. My parents sent me to Germany the first time when I was 16 for a summer and just fell in love with, with Germany. So all through college, even though I knew I was going to study psychology and I was determined to become a psychologist, I always took German classes and ended up doing exchange programs and internships. And sure enough, 20 years later, I am living in Berlin, Germany, where I am an educational psychologist. So I've done all of my graduate work here and have made a life for myself. I have a husband and two adorable little girls. After doing my doctoral research on how bilingual kids learn to read, I was really ready to get back into helping kids directly. So I got to spend 10 years in the leadership team of a really excellent international baccalaureate school in Germany as the school psychologist and head of student support services. Loved being able to work with the kids and also impact the school on a macro level. But we always had this recurring problem. We were always running out of hours to support the struggling students. And the director would make jokes like, oh, student support is a bottomless barrel. We'll never have enough teachers or counselors but that meant that I was never satisfied and my students rarely got all the hours of services that they really, really needed to thrive and reach their potential. So that's how the idea of Linden Global Learning Support was born. My co-founder and I wanted to create a team of diverse, internationally minded support specialists who could really provide the care and therapies that kids in international schools really need. I believe that school should be like a reflection of society. But when the schools don't have all the resources they need to support all kinds of learners, they become one-sided and unrealistic pictures of groups of only like neurotypical children. And that's just not what the world looks like. I wanted families with different types of learners to be able to live abroad and attend schools that also cater to children with special needs. So that's how the idea of Linden was born. It was about six years ago and my co-founder and I launched the organization. I was responsible for the uh, psychoeducational assessments and diagnostics, and she focused on counseling and teen coaching. But very quickly, we became overwhelmed with the number of phone calls and parents and schools asking us for help. And being in the helping profession, we have a hard time saying no. 
So we very quickly began collecting all sorts of other amazing experts and specialists in the field of student support. We quickly added a dyslexia specialist. Next came an occupational therapist. Next thing you knew, we had academic coaches focusing on executive functioning and helping teens stay organized. It was a few years after that that we began adding speech therapy. Most recently, we've added a number of specialists who help children on the autism spectrum disorder with all sorts of behavior management techniques. From that time six years ago, where it was just my co-founder, Chi Ugbor, and I, we now have about 45 specialists working in the project with us to really ensure that we can help any family or school that we get on the phone asking for help. Is there a philosophy underpinning your work at Linden? Actually, there is. We really always remind ourselves to see the best in every child and to see that potential. We believe that every kid has huge potential inside of them. And we believe that every child deserves to have someone with the skills to help bring that out. So I always remember one of the first students I worked with when I was starting off as a school psychologist. Let's call him Mark. <laughs> he had failed the third grade twice and was about to be expelled from his school when I started working with him. We actually moved to another school together at that time. When I started working with him, he wasn't able to work at grade level. He had some mild to moderate learning difficulties that really, really got in his way. And school just kept trucking along without him. And there he was left behind in the dust. So when I started working with Mark, he just figured out, okay, where is he at? See that great stuff in him. And I saw so much wonderful stuff in Mark. And over the years, he learned, yes, I have learning difficulties. And that doesn't mean that I'm worse than anybody else. That just means I have to work twice as hard. <laughs> and he was able to figure out those skills, learn how to organize himself, work twice as hard as everybody else. And Mark came into my office a month ago. He finished his IB several years ago. He just finished a master's in political science and came in to ask if he could work as a mentor or a tutor with younger boys because he was so grateful for the support that he had been given in his time of need and really just wanted to be able to give that back to some kids to just be able to say, hey, I see you. You have something to give the world and I'm gonna help unlock that in you. We believe in seeing the best in every child and finding someone who can help unlock that and help the kid up. There are quite a number of services that are offered through Linden, including those for students at all levels, for staff at schools, along with boarding schools and universities. For our listeners who don't know, let's start with the younger kids. What services do you offer kids? What don't we offer? Really, we offer anything that children living abroad need to reach their highest potential. Our most popular services for younger children are psychoeducational assessments to determine if children have learning disabilities or giftedness. Also counseling, speech therapy, learning support for children with developmental and specific learning disabilities, and occupational therapy. Since the very beginning, five years ago, we've offered all of our services online. And since this summer, we also even offer our psychoeducational assessments online as well. And there are a number of services for staff at international schools. Can we dive into those? The most common requests we get from schools is for professional development workshops for teachers. Most of our tailored workshops center around topics like inclusion, diversity, and mental health. 
But right now we're super duper excited about a brand new professional development series that we've developed on anti-racism work for teachers in international schools. But overall, we're just big believers in the idea that well-adjusted teachers makes well-adjusted happy students. So that's why we also provide coaching for teachers who are living abroad. Because just like the rest of us, teachers can feel isolated and lonely in their new postings. How do all these services that we've discussed differ from those that are provided to boarding schools and universities? Not really. Kids are kids. In our experience, we have higher levels of emotional needs in boarding schools. Also, there's a lot of pressure on staff as they are the guardians of dozens of adolescents. So in boarding schools, we'll often offer workshops on resilience and boundaries. Also for universities and boarding schools, we often work with the schools on a retainer basis. Well, they'll just have a certain number of hours where they can access our help anytime on a monthly and a yearly basis. So we establish kind of longer ongoing relationships with those schools or universities. Are all of your services offered globally? All of our services are available online as well as face-to-face -face in Berlin. Before the pandemic, we were doing about 10% of our work online. But as of April 1st this year, we pivoted to doing all of our student support work online. But we do also travel. We have a really cool program called School Psychologists on Wings, where schools can borrow a school psych for a crisis situation or on a regular ongoing basis. For example, we have a school in the Netherlands that has a linen psychologist come one week every month to administer psychoeducational assessments for learning disabilities. So right now, during the pandemic, we started establishing relationships with new schools all over the world. We now work with schools in Asia, Africa, and um, we're working on some relationships with schools in South America as well. So we truly are global. Lyndon also provides SAT prep courses. We've heard more and more that universities are relying less and less on these. Do you see much of a future for SATs or other standardized tests when it comes to getting into universities? It certainly looks like the SAT and ACT are going to be phased out or reduced in the coming years. For example, the University of California system is going to be phasing them out by 2024. And this process was definitely accelerated by the pandemic as it was impossible for many students to take their tests. But that said, many of the schools are developing their own standardized tests. So it's certainly not like the end of standardized testing by far. I think the SAT and ACT will be around for a while. I imagine that some third culture kids attending international schools at all levels sometimes need a bit more emotional support. Have you seen any additional needs now that we're living in a COVID world? Well, Lyndon, we always come back to this idea that it takes a village to raise a child. So what do you do if your village is an ocean away? And this sentiment has definitely been amplified during the pandemic. So many families, especially Americans, were unable to travel back to their proverbial villages to all those people who offer their support. But I have to be honest, we've been blown away by the resilience of the children we work with. Many of them have thrived in a world with a little less moving around, a little less hectic schedules and a little less noise. But we do find parents and teachers are struggling more. In the spring, we offered quite a few webinars on parenting young children in lockdown and mental health resilience for parents, teachers, and young adults. Are you offering any new services in response to, or tailored to, this new COVID environment for both parents who are helping with online learning or for students who aren't in the classroom at all or not as often? Yeah, and it's not what we thought it was going to be. 
As things were shutting down in the spring, we prepared to offer small group classes, thinking that that's what parents and the students would need. But actually, what we found ourselves doing was a lot more supporting teachers and parents. For example, schools began hiring us to provide virtual substitute teaching services for teachers who are unable to work online for a multitude of reasons. We also began offering tele-assessments, which would have been unimaginable before. Psychoeducational assessments always had to be done in person, but now we can offer those online. One school even had us providing after-school activities like yoga, juggling, magic, and animation <laughs> club, and theater classes for kids who needed more creative input during the pandemic. And finally, we began running a series of teen coaching workshops for students who are in their senior year who are completely disoriented by the loss of all those markers of finishing high school, like prom and graduation, finals, and the prospects of starting college as they'd planned or doing their gap year were all kind of thrown to the wind. So we started working with those lost 11th and 12th graders on um, how to plan their futures. For people who move abroad or even during the time of quarantine, it can be difficult for kids. How do you know when it's the right time to get help? Like I said, I think overall children are very resilient. A lot of things are quite normal, phases of anxiety or worry, but it's time to look for some extra help when you notice your child just not being themselves anymore. That means when they're losing interest in their activities, when they don't feel like going to soccer anymore and not just like, I don't wanna to go to soccer today, but when they're losing interest in their activities that they've loved before, when you're noticing them having sleep problems over a period of time, like a week or so, if you notice change in their diets, wetting themselves, when you see physiological differences in your child, and especially in teens, you're gonna notice a dramatic lack of interest in their activities, hobbies, spending time with friends, spending more and more time isolated. That's when it's time to reach out and look for someone to talk to or to advise you or to work with your child. In this time of quarantine, parents are dealing with having kids at home, trying to balance work and distance learning, staying on top of their kids' emotional and educational issues. Do you have any tips for parents at home during quarantine? Yeah, I do. Juggling childcare, work, and all those household responsibilities with children at home, it takes tremendous effort and energy. And it's understandable that parents in these times of lockdown and quarantine are feeling frustrated and exhausted all over the world. Over the past nine months, our therapists at Linden have honed in on a handful of things that we found seem to help families. The first one is to sometimes relax your expectations and just create space. It's a stressful time and to reduce anxiety, sometimes you just gotta let stuff go. We had a family was a mom in a country with really tight lockdown. And she said, I've given my kids pizza every day this week. And we had to be like, that's okay. Just let's take a week and let's just have pizza every day. Then <laughs> be easy on yourself. Give yourself some space to do things a little bit differently. Along those same lines, allow for do-overs if an argument or if a problem occurs in the family. In our house, we say, okay, we're going to open the door, go outside, and it's a brand new moment. And we're just going to forget everything and start over. In that same realm with relaxing expectations and creating space, sometimes for kids, especially if there's a family cooped up in a small area, have the kids create like cozy nooks or forts where they can hang out and have their own space for independent play. 
to create that space for yourself to do what you need and what you love to help you feel centered. So a lot of self-care, make sure that that's built into your day, if not every day, at least every other day that you're getting to do as a parent something for yourself. The second tip we've come up with that really seems to help is just remembering to stay calm, but to stay present during storms. <laughs> because meltdowns and other kind of challenging behaviors are going to occur in especially little kids during these uncertain times. So first, if you can, and this is the hardest part, to calm yourself, take a step away and recenter yourself, and then validate your child with empathy. Say, I understand you're angry, and follow up with, I can help. I understand you're angry, but I can help. For littler kids, try to minimize the verbal language when your child's really upset, and instead try something physical, like, hey, let's blow bubbles together, or let's squish this Play-Doh, or let's punch a pillow. So something a bit more physical with younger children. The third thing, and we all know how hard this is, but is to create rhythms and routines. Younger children do best with some sort of routines. Of course, you have to have some flexibility, but putting together a little visual schedule. What I did with my children is every day I would set out index cards with different activities and a drawing of the activity written, and they got to pick three cards and how they wanted to set them up through the day. Even the youngest children can, can help with that. The fourth one, I talked a bit about this before, is modeling how you deal with emotions. So showing and sharing your emotions. During play with younger kids, you can play with stuffed animals or Legos and talk about, oh, I'm so mad, I can't see my friends today, and kind of model what that would, what that would sound like as you're processing those feelings. Also, when you're talking about the feelings too, be sure to use the safety words. Instead of saying fear or danger, we'll say like, oh, we wash our hands to be safe. Not, oh, these germs are so dangerous, but we use safety words when we're talking to our children. Another thing we've come up with is getting kids involved with work and chores in the household helps them feel useful and powerful, which is important during lockdown. It helps them have a sense of agency. It keeps them busy and maybe, maybe, maybe it would even help. <laughs> they could try to fold clothes, wash dishes in a sink of bubbly water for little kids. And then you can observe the work of your child and say, wow, look at your strong muscles as you push the broom. And finally, movement and play. For people who are in really strict lockdown areas, this is tough, but we all know how important it is for kids to get those physical opportunities to release emotions and stress, and it also helps them self-regulate better. If you're stuck inside, you can play big physical games like wrestling or dance-a-thons or roll kids up in a blanket burrito. <laughs> you can squish Play-Doh and eat crunchy things. And whenever possible, just laugh and be silly, be a goofball. That releases stress and, of course, makes things a little bit more fun. So, of course, that's a lot of different suggestions and things to remember. But you only have to pick, like, one or two little things that you want to try during a week. The most important thing you can do, though, is to really take a moment, take time out, even if it's just 10 minutes, to be present with your child. You don't need to be perfect. These are incredibly difficult times but it poses an opportunity to find goodness and connection with our children. We have an Israeli therapist in our organization. Her name is Noah, and she wrote an article for us about when she was in lockdown with her family in the 90s, I believe, 
And she remembers that as being one of the best times of her life where she got all this great attention and family time and connection. And so for as tough as it is for parents, it's very possible that our kids are gonna remember these moments with a lot of fondness. So we try to keep that in mind. In regards to the counseling services offered, is it difficult working virtually with those who need counseling for emotional disorders, those having a hard time transitioning to a new culture, or when it comes to wellness coaching, is it quite different than being physically in the same room? The kids are digital natives, so it's easy enough for them to connect online. But we really had to learn, relearn for ourselves how to connect with students when we couldn't be in the same room as them. We had to learn how to play all of our favorite games online with online whiteboards and how to keep the kids engaged. It was totally possible, but it did take us some more work and it takes us a bit longer to establish a connection. For example, there was an American family who was posted to a remote village in Spain. Well, their son was really a gifted boy who had, who had done well in school, but felt completely lost at the local primary school. And he started to become aggressive. He didn't want to attend class anymore. And we started doing counseling with him, trying to help him adjust to his new setting. He was super resistant. He would turn off the monitor. He would turn off the mic. He would mute the therapist. <laughs> and it really took some time, but through sending him postcards, playing his favorite game online and talking through, you know, how are his strategies? What did he do when he got frustrated in the game? What advice would he give to the therapist when she got stressed out? Slowly over a period of months, she was able to establish a really nice relationship with him. And soon enough, he was attending school happily. So we're still learning, but actually I had the opportunity to train 120 German school psychologists on how to do counseling online. So we've gotten to a point where we've collected enough experience and tips and tricks to start training others now as well. You mentioned you did some time with bilingual children. Can you tell us more about that experience? Yeah, so most of the children we work with at Linden are bilingual or multilingual and most of them speak at least two languages. So that's a really important part of who we are at Linden. We understand that international school children or children living abroad do speak more than one language and that does impact the way they learn and the way they move around the world. Many researchers show that children who are bilingual do possess certain special abilities especially the way they perceive sounds and the way they perceive language. They can hear sounds and put language together in different ways than monolingual children. However, on the other hand, they have often a more limited vocabulary in each one of their languages. Now, if you put the words that they know in English, for example, with the words they know in Chinese together, they would know more words than a monolingual child, for example, but maybe fewer words in each language. So when we're talking with teachers or parents, we really emphasize how important it is to explicitly teach vocabulary and really be aware of the need for bilingual children or multilingual children to, to help them build their vocabularies up so that they can continue to learn and thrive in their different languages. Because the children who come to us through Linden speak many, many different languages at home, we really place a lot of emphasis on making sure that our specialists also come from diverse linguistic and cultural backgrounds. Ideally, when we receive a new student, we try to match them with someone who has some of the same cultural background or linguistic background as they do. 
for example, we have a Hebrew speaking school psychologist and a Chinese speaking behavior specialist. So when possible, we try to collect experts and specialists and therapists with all different kinds of language and cultural backgrounds to match with our families. We really find that that helps the, both the children and the parents be able to establish deeper and more productive therapeutic relationships with their specialist. What are the most common emotional issues that expatriates face? And do Americans have any specific issues in this regard than other nationalities do? I think right now the American students we're working with and the American families is a particularly anxious time for us with some of the unrest and some of the, the fires plus the pandemic. It's particularly difficult for Americans to go home right now. Also, some of our African-American clients and families have really been processing a lot as the Black Lives Matter movement has begun to transform the conversation about race, not just in America, but around the world. They're really finding this to be a validation and amplification of their voices, but it's a lot to process, which is why we're so excited to have tailored a anti-racism program specifically for international schools, because it's something that's just not being addressed outside of the United States in that same way. On your site, there are a plethora of webinars. I saw webinars about picky eaters, reaching students with ADHD, and parenting in lockdown. Do you have any new webinars in the works, or do you have any other events that we can share with our listeners? We are presenting at the International School Counseling Association on how telehealth services can open up access to support for children living abroad. We'll be putting that up on our website. Also, we have a couple new webinars on tips from our occupational therapists. We're beginning a series on autism spectrum disorder. And I've recently completed a blog on special education needs and services in Germany and how that all works. Great. I'll include links in the show notes to your webinars. You mentioned you have a workshop coming up about telehealth. Can you tell us more about what telehealth is? Telehealth is actually a very, very broad term that means any kind of services, medical or psychological services that can happen without the client being in the same room as you. So the first case of telehealth was a doctor in the 1950s who was able to do a live video feed with his patients. And of course, the pandemic has, has had an incredible effect on telehealth services all around the world. Practitioners are reporting 50-fold to 175-fold increases in their telehealth services since March of this year. So it's a booming field right now, and it's particularly applicable for children and families in international schools because international schools are kind of islands unto themselves, and they are unable to offer the range of services that you would get, for example, in the United States, if you were in one school district, because every school district would have a school psychologist, a counselor, a social worker, a speech therapist, and so forth. But international schools can rarely, rarely offer all those services. So with the field of telehealth, we've all of a sudden opened up this wide, wide range of services that children posted in any country can access. So a student in Bucharest, maybe there is no speech therapist who works in English in Bucharest, but the students now have access to speech therapists all around the world working in different time zones. So those kids can get all sorts of services. 
One really great thing about that for international families is that your speech therapist or your counselor can move with you. So when that family moves from Bucharest to Tanzania, they can take these specialists and these therapists along with them, offering a continuity to kids that you wouldn't get otherwise. So when thinking about telehealth, another advantage that it brings is sometimes it lowers the threshold for a student or a family to be willing to try a counseling or a therapy that might seem too hard to access or too big of a deal in a face-to-face setting. It reminds me of a student we worked with not very long ago. Her name was Melissa, (laughs) for all practical purposes, and she was in a boarding school. She had been falling into lower and lower moods. She was having trouble getting out of bed. She didn't want to go to class and was in danger of having to leave the school. As in many schools, the waiting list for her to be able to see a therapist in the local town was six months. And it just wasn't possible to get her out of bed, out of school to to go see someone. So we started doing some counseling with her. and. It was possible for her to reach over to her desk and flop her laptop onto her bed. And within a week or two, we had her up and going to class and interacting with her peers as she did two or three months before. So in that sense, telehealth or telecounseling ended up being a real advantage for Melissa because it enabled her to start getting the help she needed at the beginning from her own bed. <laughs> and then um, a few weeks later, until she was ready to to get out and start interacting and eventually get through the waiting list to be able to see someone in town. I see Lyndon also sponsors an International Girls Leadership Summer Camp. Can you tell us more about that? That's the Girls Gearing Up International Leadership Academy. It's a passion project of ours. It was initially part of Linden as one of our summer programs that we offered. After a couple of years, we realized it was more of a nonprofit type project. So it broke off and we established it as a nonprofit in Germany. So the idea behind it is, is we bring girls from all over the world, ages 13 to 17, to Berlin for a life-changing week of leadership training. Last year, well, the last year we had live camp, we had girls from 13 different countries stretching from Malawi to India to Chile coming together. And every day the girls will meet a, what we call a power mentor. So a woman in a different field who's making a mark. It could be a filmmaker, a politician, a rocket scientist, a computer programmer, anything. And we focus on three main things, building confidence, building skills, and getting inspired to make a difference in the world. This year, we had to hold our camp as a virtual camp, which we did over 11 consecutive Saturdays in the summer, where all the girls came together for about three hours, and we brought our curriculum as best we could from the campfire to what we called a virtual campfire. But it was still a very successful program, and we're excited to be able to offer it online now, too. It means we can reach even more girls. That's our passion project, and it's very closely linked to Linden, but it is its own entity. I would encourage anyone who feels called or knows a teenage girl to apply. Our philosophy is any girl who feels called to take part in the project, we make it possible for them to attend by giving scholarships. What advice do you have for parents moving abroad with school-aged children? So that's a big question. It 
depends on a million factors, of course. But overall, I will say one thing. Kids are resilient and moving abroad is going to expand their horizons incredibly and make them richer, more empathetic, and probably more linguistically talented human beings. So if you have an opportunity to do it, you definitely should. When moving abroad, you're going to probably be thinking about what type of school and your main choices will be an international school that's using either the American, the British or the International Baccalaureate curriculum or a local school. And of course, from country to country, you will have vast, vast differences in the curriculum and what would you would expect in the local schools versus the international schools. With the international schools, you're going to have something quite similar to what you're used to in the United States. You will have similar kind of teaching philosophies and overall educational practices. So it'll be quite easy for you to communicate with the teachers and understand what they're going for. In the international schools, they will not be picking up the local language quite as quickly or in some cases at all. And for that, it really depends how long are you planning to stay. If you're just going for a year, it may make sense to stay in an international school and just do a little taster of the local language. If you're planning to stay for a longer period of time, maybe it would make sense to, to join a local school. But it's important to recognize you cannot have the same expectations of the educational system that you would have in the United States. I very frequently have families who move from, for example, California to, to Germany, and they're like, oh, we just want to immerse our kids in German and have them learn German. We're just going to be here for a year. Not understanding that the German school system isn't set up with ESL or German as a second language teachers in the same way. Their approach to multilingualism is, is different than the United States, and the German school system has lots of advantages but it does approach language learning differently. So a lot of families who choose this, oh, just drop them in and, and immerse them for a short period of time feel somewhat frustrated because the approach to language learning or to accepting children with different linguistic backgrounds is different than it is maybe in their home community in, in the United States. You have to be clear on not projecting your exact same expectations of what a school might do in the United States with what it's going to do in the country you're moving to. The other big advice that I would give for families with children with additional learning needs is, yes, you can certainly move abroad if your child has special needs, but you really want to select your school carefully and be very cognizant that the international schools and also public schools in many countries are not going to offer the same types of special education services. So don't take for granted that you will bring your IEP or your individual education plan with you and it will be implemented just like it was in Ohio. The chances are it won't be at all <laughs> or will be implemented very, very differently. So if you are moving abroad with a child with special needs, you're really going to want to take that decision, the decision of the school very, very carefully. And I recommend for parents to be very, very honest with the school about what their child's needs are and what kind of service their children need in order to thrive. I think the clearer you can be upfront with the school about your expectations, the better of a match you're going to find. Do you have tips for moving abroad and having well-adjusted kids? Yeah, I think a lot of parents are very worried about moving schools and moving children. And of course, you don't want to be moving every six or 12 months, but overall, children are really resilient little creatures. And I think the best thing that parents can do is to model good transition behavior. Something I've noticed 
more than anything in my practice working with children in international schools and families living abroad, is that kids do well when their parents are doing well. Many, many of the kids who I see struggling with transition, they're worried about their moms. <laughs> they say, I think my mom's really sad. I think she doesn't like it here. She's lonely. So the better you can take care of yourself as parents and show your children what you're doing, the better your kids will be. So that means talk about when you're lonely, talk about when it's hard and then how you got over it. Like what strategies you use. Say, you know, I was feeling kind of lonely today. So I went out to a museum and guess what? I met a woman who's also from Kansas. <laughs> celebrate the opportunity to learn about this new place that you're in, celebrate that you're experiencing an adventure together, model for your children how you're going to a new language class. Maybe more than you would do at home, you will probably want to orchestrate some more playdates or activities. And the fourth thing I would say is to make sure if you're going to be staying abroad for a longer period of time, that your kids know where their roots are, that they know what their heritage is, they know where home is, that if you're going to be abroad for a longer period of time, that you make sure to go home to the same place once a year if you can and have the kids know that this is home for me. And I was actually speaking with one of our students about that this summer. I was an American French girl who'd lived all around the world and was asking about her experience as a third culture kid. And she said something so interesting. She said, you know, people always used to say, oh, you're half French and half American. And, and I realized, like, I'm not half anything. I am wholly American and I am wholly French. I have two full identities and I'm not half of this or half of another. So to help your kids learn to completely embrace these different aspects of their identities, and it doesn't have to be that you're a little piece of this or a little piece of that, but you can be all of something. And this young woman she, she said that that really made a big difference for her, feeling like she was whole and she was good enough. Thank you, Christina, for joining us today. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us.